is it? Something old. Something new. Something borrowed. Something blue. Smug. Confident. Secure because you are sane. Do you know what madness is or how it strikes? Have you seen the demon? Surge through the corridors of the crazed mind. Come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my world. Let me lead you into it. didn't see you there. Wow, how corny is this opening, huh? Before we get into today's interview, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Doctor Who. Why it kind of relates to the film that we're going to be interviewing the director about today. I don't know. I just wanted to talk about Doctor Who, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I could safely say that without Doctor Who, I wouldn't have made a movie or gotten married. Let me explain. So it's around 2007. I quit like a straight job to fully work in film. I had already worked in film since I was like 19, on and off. I'd be like PAing on somebody's films or GNEing, but I never fully committed to it. I was a little afraid to jump in all the way. That changed around 2007 when I was faced with the prospect of like, you know, uh, gainful employment. I said, let me, maybe it's time. Turned out to be a bad decision. That's when I worked in g and and I hated it. Anywho, for those first few months of me doing this endeavor, I wasn't working much. And even still, once I started working a lot, I wasn't working much. You know what it is? I like to watch stuff in bulk. Before like watching a lot of something was codified as binging, I was just watching stuff in bulk. That's how I referred to it. I needed a lot of something to fill the time. My friend Harry Greenberger, filmmaker himself, uh, made the film Far Away Eyes with Christina Ricci that you could check out uh, at all your favorite places where you buy your films. He's a psycho from childhood Doctor Who fan. You know, big psycho Doctor Who fan his whole life. And it was something I was surprised I never got into. I remember seeing the TV movie in 96 with Eric Roberts and not being impressed. I thought that would be a good gateway to get into Doctor Who. I was always curious about it. It sounds like right up my alley. So, you know, using my powers of internet, I was able to watch the majority of the original series. I started with uh, City of Death, which is the Tom Baker one written by Douglas Adams. It was the perfect gateway drug for me. As a kid who grew up obsessing over Monty Python, that old BBC uh, film for exteriors and video for interiors look, I kind of was indoctrinated into that style of filming that they did back then. Of course, uh, City of Death ends with a cameo from John Cleese. 
And dude, I was already a big hitchhiker. It's so weird that I never watched Doctor Who. It's like, well, I knew Douglas Adams wrote for it. And I was already a big hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy fam. It was just a perfect storm when I watched that one. I became obsessed in a way that I don't get obsessed with stuff anymore. Probably because of Doctor Who. I'll get into that why later. Really went through the entire series. And because again, I wasn't working a lot. So it was really fun to just sit there, smoke a bowl and watch old bad science fiction. It was great. And it's funny. I live in a bubble. I don't engage with the outside world. So I'm watching Doctor Who. I think I'm the only one watching Doctor Who, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know of any communities outside of that. I don't engage with communities. And I've been a fan of a lot of stuff over the years. Never engage with communities. Communities frighten me. And they always turn toxic. They always do. Like, it's just because everybody stinks. Most people stay. It's like, hey, you like the same thing I like. That's great. And they're usually garbage. But I saw that there was going to be a book signing. Now, what is this? What is this? Around 2011? So, okay. I just got a notification. I sent somebody a movie that I know they're going to like. Yeah, business as usual around these parts. Anywho, finally get into the new series proper. What Russell T. Davies did cannot be overstated. I heard one guy on the internet say, most Doctor Who fans are people who are people who incessantly quote Monty Python and smell like cheese. Me, I've never gone to any kind of fan event. I just don't, I don't wanna, I don't wanna be around people. I don't like them very much. That's why I like doing this, because I don't have to deal with anybody. Like, except like through a video screen. And that's not real. But they were going to be having a DVD signing at Barnes and Nobles in the city. And uh, that would be the cast of Matt Smith, uh, Rory. I can't remember his name. Uh, Davies? What is his name? Whatever his name was. And of course, Karen Gillan. What the hell's his name? I just know him as Rory. I'm sure. Oh, Arthur Darville. Arthur Darville. So I go. And it's my first time going to like a fan event. And it's my first time experiencing LineCon, which is if you ever go to any convention, you kind of, and you wind up spending most of your time online, you kind of bond, you make best friends of the day. It's something I eventually became very familiar with and enjoyed. But uh, I meet these lovely chaps, Alfa uh, I don't know, should I say that name? Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, I love you guys. Alfonso and Chris, these two dudes from Tennessee, I don't know, they're from the South. They're from one of those flyover states. I hope they don't listen to this. They're good dudes. And, uh, you know, I became buddies with them. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm nice when I'm in public. If you saw, you wouldn't know I'm a social phobe. I could hide it very well. It's what we call masking. They told me there was going to be a screening for the season six premiere in a couple days. We made friends on Facebook and they said, yeah, I'll message you. Let me know how the line is. I might message you to let you know how the line is. Now, I wasn't going to go because the night before I had tickets to the Charlie Sheen Torpedoes of Truth tour, which, wow, it was an hour long show with a 15 minute intermission. Like built, I mean, total. And it was just him going, yeah, remember when I said I have tiger blood? Yeah, that was it. Remember when I said that? Nah. Then he brought Daryl Strawberry on stage, which is weird. But uh, I said, yeah, fuck it. I'm, I'm wiped out because, of course, I got bombed for that because you can't go into such a thing sober. Uh, so I said, oh, I gotta fucking go to this thing. And then the guys like said, look, you should come. They got online the night before. I get online and I've never seen anything like this. There was a line around the block. Like, holy shit. And I got there around eight in the morning. The show wasn't till like, uh, I think six at night. And it was a line around the block, like literally a, a city block, not like a short block, like a city block. And this is where I meet Noel, a great dude. And of course, Danny Crudup. Now, Danny Crudup is that he is the inspiration for my film, like one of the characters, the main characters of my film. He changed a lot during the, during the, like the process of like making the film, he changed because I said, yeah, because Danny's, Danny's miserable. And the thing was like, <laughs> Danny's one of the most miserable people I ever met. He's hysterical though, caustically funny. I eventually changed him more to be like me, 
all the characters in that movie are me. Eh, self-absorbed. What do you want from me? But it was it was an amazing day. And the weirdest part of the day is at one point we went and bought like sheets and paper towel to like make a place where we could sit and lay down in the middle of this, this city Manhattan street. And I remember just passing out for like an hour. And I remember just kind of waking up and I see this little man staring at me. And it's Gilbert fucking Godfrey. Like for real. Weird. And he just looked at me like, what the hell is this guy doing just laying on the street? And why are all these people just snaking around this block? It was at the Village East Theater. I don't know if I said that. It was amazing. It was the two-parter season six. It was a good premiere for a month. It was an amazing day. And season six premiere is phenomenal. It's brilliant. It's some of Stephen Moffat's greatest work. Then the rest of the season happens. Not as great. There's some high moments. There's a lot of low moments. And it kind of whiffs the landing. But it's okay. I, he's got some big plan. What I initially liked about the show was this anthology aspect of it. It's like, yeah, you have returning characters, but it's a new adventure each week. with very little like running story to, to like clog up the works. I think Russell T. Davies, when he took the show and reshaped it into more of a Buffy style primetime soap WB feeling show was the right call to modernize it. Now, when Moffat took over, now, here's the thing. I was over the moon when Moffat was taking over. Me and Danny have talked about this since then. It's like, we didn't know what we had till it was gone. It's like, we were like, come on, Russell T. Davies, beat it. This guy's going to take over. This guy wrote the best episodes of the show. I still say, if you ever watch Blink or Silence of the Library, it's two masterpieces of just science fiction, like good science fiction storytelling with great ideas. Uh, the Girl in the Fireplace, too. Fantastic. All his stuff that he wrote during Russell T. Davies' run was incredible, like masterful, brilliant stuff. So he's going to be the new showrunner. It's going to be unbelievable. Season five happened. And it's good. It's got some great moments. Uh, Matt Smith is uh, probably my favorite doctor still. Uh, I, I have a thing for tall, lanky guys who can't move very, like who have trouble negotiating their environment as a physical trope. That's it, again, growing up watching Monty Python and watching John Cleese. And also my favorite sitcom when I was a kid was the Dick Van Dyke show. I just have that thing. I just like, I like seeing guys that move like that. Around this time, it was the rise of New York Comic Con. I said, I had such a good time going to this fan event. I said, maybe I'll go to New York Comic Con. Uh, and this was when you could still buy tickets at the door, which is insane to think about. I bought tickets at the door, stayed for an hour, was completely freaked out and over overstimulated. You know, for people with my type of brain, don't care for that kind of thing. I didn't get it. I couldn't, I didn't know where to go. It was just a bunch of shit. But then next year, season seven premiere, and now it was moving from the Village East Cinema to the now defunct Ziegfeld Theater. Now that, if you don't know, Ziegfeld was like the theater of New York. It was the premiere theater to where Hollywood, like where if they premiere a movie in New York City, it would premiere at the Zig. It was a beautiful old fashioned single screen theater. That's where I saw X-Men 2 at amazing screening for a movie that probably hasn't aged that well. I haven't checked those films in a long time. But I'm, I'm assuming it's not as good as I remember. I kept in touch with Alfonso and Chris. Those guys got there the night before and they couldn't save a spot. On, they, on the season six premiere, those guys got there the night before. So they were like towards the head of the line. And I showed up like eight o'clock and they couldn't really give me a spot. And they didn't know me. So that was fine. But this time they said, you know, listen, can you save me a spot? I'm going to be there around 10-ish. And it's there. I meet, become my wife. Me and my wife start dating immediately after meeting at that thing. And sadly, we kind of fell out of the show by the end of the season because as excited as we were for Stephen Moff to take over. Here's the thing. I can't go on all day about this. This is not the point of the story. By the time the Capaldi run happened, we both kind of kind of gave up on it. But because of Doctor Who and introducing me to fan events, and cons and stuff like that. I started going to Comic-Con with my now good lady wife. Like my wife, when I met her, was already a seasoned con goer who'd also gone to cons in like Europe. Like she she was a she was a fucking nerd. 
over the course of those three years of us dating, I became so interested in the subculture of cons and how they function and what they kind of mean for society that I wound up making a film about it, which nobody saw. Probably including you out there. So there's that. But I always loved Doctor Who. Not enough to actually watch it, but it did give me a lot of things. So I am appreciative of that. It got me married. And my marriage has gone a lot better than the ones in the film we're going to be talking about today. Wow. And all my really forced segs, this is the forciest seg I've ever done. You're welcome. Today on the Scum of the Earth podcast, I'm going to be talking to director Timothy Woodward Jr. and his new film, First Cineverse. The good folks at Cineverse. The delicious, sexy, beautiful people of our parent company, Cineverse. And their new film, Till Death Do Us Part. I was able to get a screen of the film and quite enjoyed it. Fun, uh, really good martial arts with a lot of fun styles in there. Uh, kind of a riff on Kill Bill with a little bit of like that John Wick world building thing. Good time. Great taste for McDonald's. Starring uh, Cam Gigand. I, and I couldn't get this in the interview. Cam Gigandent. 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 Cam Gigandent. Samir, not going to work here anymore anyway. Cam Gigandent, who for me and mine will always be Jason from the Twilight films. Oh, back to My Silly Marriage. One of our first dates, we were going to see Wreck-It Ralph. We were sitting there. It's like, listen, I'm sure Wreck-It Ralph is a nice, fun film. And I know neither of us have seen any of the previous films. But how funny would it be if we went in to see Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2? We had such a great time. And it's one of those things where you originally become an ironic fan of something and then you just become a fan of something. We even played a thousand years at our wedding and they said it wouldn't last. Where was I? Yes, Timothy Woodward Jr. was nice enough to join me and answer my questions about the film. And here it is. Thank you for coming on, sir. Hey, no, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So I just finished watching the movie. I, I, I like to watch them right before I do an interview, just so it's fresh in my mind. There's an interesting cameo early on in the film in photo form of a, with a dude I've worked with, uh, Mike Starr. Yeah. <laughs> That, how did he show, like, how did, like, how did you just get the rights to his pictures? Like, that, that yeah, Natalie's actually really good friends with him, the lead actress. And uh, when it came down to it, she called and said, hey, you know, here's a film I'm in. There's an interesting backstory. Could it, you know, eventually be something? But I would love for you to be the photo of my dad. And he's like, absolutely. You know, I'd love to do it. So uh, that's how he's a really good dude, Mike. He has a million stories. I worked with him, like, 15 years ago and he's a really great guy yeah, he's amazing in the bodyguard oh amazing the bodyguard i mean one of the first thing weirdest thing when i first met him first thing i asked him about was cabin boy <laughs> there's a lot of actors you in the, over the course of your career that you've worked with a bunch that uh, michael perret eddie wilson dude you've worked with eddie wilson that's who he is i'm oh. sorry michael perret but you'll always be eddie wilson to me hey, I'm uh, uh, danny trejo and one of my favorite actors uh who just passed is tom sizemore you worked with a bunch uh, yeah. We did a special for him over here on our channel because we just we absolutely thought the world of him. Yeah, yeah, it's sad, man. It's it's. Uh, I've worked with him, I think four times, but it's yeah, it's tragic. Yeah. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey folks, Frank here. I normally put sponsor ads here, but I did some ads a little ways back for our shows that I don't think ever like made the light of day or never played anywhere. And I just want to, I put a lot of work into them. So I'd like to, this little space now to, for you to hear them and hopefully you enjoy. Thank you.
Okie dokie, folks. I'm Frank Bonacci, and I'm the scum of the earth. This is my show where I interview people from the worlds of horror, science fiction, cult, all the stuff I'm into. Producer of Terrifier 2, Mr. Michael Levy. From BleedingSkull.com, Miss Annie Choi. Writer, director, Mr. Thomas Churchill, folks. Barry J. Gillis. Miss Kansas Bowling. The director of the WNUF Halloween special, Mr. Chris LaMartina. Miss Laura Wimbles. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So, at what point in your life did you realize that you had a godlike ability to make puns and ads. Um, I, was, I, I appreciate you. <laughs> this whole group of horror hosts are very upset that you guys got, you just came out of nowhere and you started doing it. I'm like, Sven comes up to you like, so you don't seem to know how things are done around here. <laughs> yeah, let's do a Mexican standoff, all three of us. Frank, stop the gun at my dad! <laughs> The instrument panel is kaput, and I'm flying blind out there, people. No power on Earth can exercise the terror from scum of the Earth. Did you ever watch The Twilight Zone? Welcome, everybody, to Zoning Out. This is the show where we talk about The Twilight Zone. I'm Christopher Feinstein. The putter or dud? What do we got? <laughs> no sex. Frank Bonacci. He started screaming some such about his member not working. Boy, I didn't need this today. <laughs> and just, he was betting on tennis. When you bet. Tennis. Igor Slamislav is unstoppable. See? Who's that? <laughs> well, he's got that dog in him. <laughs> so listen, I'm getting off top. Getting. And now, Mr. Serling. See this and many other stories on the outer limits. He's just trying to trash the competition. <laughs> <laughs> he was on tiptoes. <laughs> he was showing a lot of ankle. He walked out of there like the S209. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do a podcast that that doesn't come up. Because it's annoying. <laughs> well, that's the problem, young man. <laughs> we can't put this out. <laughs> we can't put this in. Zoning out from Bloody FM. And another returning cast member from a bunch of films is Jason Patrick, who you brought back on for this. Yeah, yeah. Gangster, yeah he was yeah. great. Yeah, he's great. He gets you, you gave him a nice juicy role in this movie. Yeah, no, I can't wait for him. He's he's gonna see it next week, you know, at the screening and uh I can't wait for him to check it out. So it's I'm very excited about that. Now, Natalie Byrne is uh I mean, she is a specimen. How did like you've worked with her before on Studio City? Like she has to do a lot in this movie, like physically. Yeah. And she it, yeah, it looked yeah. like I mean, it looked like a lot of that was her. I mean, if not all of it. All of it was her. I, I believe it. She's yeah. she's an amazing athlete. I mean, it was amazing to watch because there's a lot of different fight styles going on. You have this uh, at one point you're doing capoeira and there's Muay Thai. It's like and she's and she's hanging in there with all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And no, I was throwing everything at impossible to make each fight feel different and have its own style. And you know, each one kind of got more aggressively wild and unchoreographed. And it was, uh, you know, yeah, it was fun, but she's, she, you know, having the ability to have someone who has, you know, a, a ballerina background and martial arts background is a big help. Oh, jeez. She could just do whatever, you know, she's like, Oh, here's a bookcase. I'm going to backflip off of it. And you're like, okay, <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah. She was doing hurricane Ronas. She's amazing. Like she was amazing to watch do all that stuff. Another great is, uh, yeah. Uh, I know I should call him by his name, but he's Jason from Twilight. I'm an unironic Twilight fan, and he was um, he had a lot of fun in his scenes. Yeah, Cam Gigante. Yeah, yeah. He's he's he was great, man. He came in and he chewed up the scenery, and you know had a good time for sure. Yeah. Um, 
How much of uh, Pancho uh, Mole? How do you pronounce his last name? Pancho Mole, yeah. Mr. Pancho Mole. How much of that was improv? Because he he's having fun. Yeah, there was a lot of that. That I would say fifty percent of Pancho was you know because that character was somebody that I was adding in constantly that was a little smaller, and then I kept adding this conflict between him and Big Sexy. And so it was either written, you know, on the fly where, you know, I was changing stuff or it was ad libbed. There's one scene in particular where he's going, you know, why are you such a fucking disappointment? Look at me, you know, and talking to the Neb and they literally completely that was a complete improv scene. I could have watched him do that all day. He was amazing. He was very good at that. And he had a lot of fun and. You know, he he trusted me. I saw him at a comedy show and basically said, look, you know, this character isn't really fleshed out that well, but I'm going to put you in this. You know, you're, you're going to be a nickname T-bone. You know, you're going to have a sausage that's 12 inches long and the ladies are going to love you. And I want you to play this like you're a seven foot tall, 250 pound guy. And I literally want you to do it as straight as possible. And it just ended up being a lot of fun, you know, and he was very fun. There's a lot of world building in this film. And if you're looking for like, if you eventually have any sub franchises that grow out of this, please, I'd love a I'd love another film with the T-Bone. Yeah, no, we definitely, you know, it's funny because we are really hoping like crazy that this movie does well because, you know, we have two or three ideas already and we set it up. If you saw the after credit scene, mm-hmm. university, we've set that up and we've, uh, We've set up a few things in there to keep it going. And we have a way of of actually bringing Poncho back. It's very funny and very cool. Oh, please. I got it's gotta happen. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's fun though. You'll see it's fun. You had a lot of licensed music on this. That's got that's a t- you know, when you're making a film, you always like I you get those dream songs I'd love for this song. And it's how much of it did you get wind up with? Because you you went for a lot of licensed songs. Yeah, I would say as far as the style that I was going for, about 80 percent. Um, you know, I had a playlist already ready while we were shooting. And then, you know, I ended up having to have some of the songs that weren't quite as famous, but they were still in the vein of. Mm. Um, but like, you know, Rock and Robin, I had off the bat, you know, Little Bitty Pretty one I had right off the bat. There was another one that's uh, in the trailer. That song was right off the bat. There was there's a there's a few of them I say that I'd already had in my you know playlist ready to rock, and then there was others that we had to replace with songs that are very similar to it that have the same beat. But that was a part. The music was such a huge part of this for me. You know, having this like world of a '90s rom com gone bad, Snow White. You know, where the seven dwarfs want to kill her. So it was like, let's have this music that is like bubble gum, bubble gum, boom, 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 and then people are like, that killing is going on. So it's opposite of what you would think or what would normally be there. How did you guys find, like, did you have trouble finding the structure? Because it's got an interesting structure, this film. Like, how hard was it? Like, especially, like, there's a lot of information being given, but you do it, you eke it out very gradually. Like, how hard was that to find like that? Well, essentially, the script is, you know, if you took it where it's the boat stuff first, you know, it's it's the boats, you know, start off in Puerto Rico, it's the boat scenes, then it's the the will you marry me, then it's the wedding. We just took those sections and put them in the uh, first end of first act, end of the you know middle and then at the end basically of the movie. So we took those scenes and spread them out according to structure. So if you actually watch it back, those are planted perfectly like at end of act one, the midpoint of the movie and the end of act two. And then right after the intro scene is where the first one comes. So those four pieces are actually connected the same way the four pieces of a pie of a structure is. The concern as a director is 
hey, I'm cutting away from this action that's going on or these people being chopped up or this intensity to then back to this other storyline. How do I keep the viewer engaged in that? And the only way of doing that even possible was mystery. Who are these people? What the fuck are they doing here? And why am I leaving the story? And hopefully you keep the you know viewer long enough where they don't switch it off and go, okay, let me hang in there to see what this is all about. And because it comes back and it pays itself off and it actually gives the whole story its purpose and its meaning and why this event took place. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, it's like, that's tricky what you, you, you know, you were going for that. It's like, wow, that's tricky. And you pulled it off. So good. Congratulations. Oh, on thank that. you. Man. It was, it was, it was nerve wracking for a while, man. I was, <laughs> I was very, you know, second guessing, but I can, I'm happy to say that every flashback scene that came in, you know, in that second storyline was scripted. I kept it where it was scripted because there was a few times I had thought about changing it. I thought about changing the chainsaw scene, you know, to later. And I'd second guess myself. And in the end, I ended up with everything exactly the way that I shot it and exactly the way that it was. So I just said, uh, fuck, you know, if I'm going to die by the sword, I'm going to die by the sword. <laughs> Either people are going to you know fucking hate it or they're going to like it and appreciate the fact that you know, I'm sticking with it, you know, uh, you've done a lot of genre like you've worked in a lot of genres like Westerns, which is great because like a lot. You don't see as many Westerns as you did when we were growing up. Uh, what's your favorite genre to work in? I love Westerns. I love period pieces. Um, I think right now, though, it's literally in this like dark, you know, I like dark psychological thrillers is really fun for me. But I really love doing comedy, too. Now, you know, I love doing comedy on this one. I like taking this genres and bending it. So we'll see, you know, it changes. I mean, I was in a period for a while where I really wanted to do Westerns and period pieces. And then I got into, you know, horror and action. And then I, I just said, fuck it, and threw all of it together in this. You know, Studio City's got a lot of comedy and, you know, we you know, won an Emmy for that. And then felt like when I came into this, what if I added comedy? What if I added horror to action? You know, what if I just said, throw out all the rules and just did it my way and i had a lot of fun with it whether it would work again or not i don't know whether it worked this time i don't know <laughs> i just know that you know my what i intended to do was have fun and entertain and i felt like for me at least i did that and if people hate it you know i gave it what i got <laughs> good job man you did it you pulled it Thank off you. uh one thing uh this is i guess it's my last question uh so i just came from a wedding this weekend uh if you could, it's uh, one of our other hosts, uh, Judd Feinstein, just got married. Uh, if you could wish him and uh, his new bride, Allie, uh, uh, congratulations. Uh, congratulations on your wedding. I hope it ends up nothing like the people <laughs> in my movie. Okay, so Allie and John, congratulations, guys. I hope you have a long wedding and, uh, you know, check out my film when you get a chance. But do it after you're married, probably, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just got to say thank you so much for coming on again. And what the... Yeah. Uh -huh.